be able to comprehend in our minds. And so looking at the testimony of those two witnesses, you know, I was excited. I was excited for two Sundays about it. I told you I was fired up about how that they, I believed that they had that same power that Elijah had, the same power that Moses had. They could actually be uh, Elijah and Moses themselves. It could actually be one of them could be Enoch. You know, Enoch was a man that before the flood came, he was taken out of here. He was walking one day with the Lord here, and then he was not. He was taken, you know, which would be a perfect illustration of us, the rapture of the church. You know, one day here, and then we'll be gone when he calls us home. And so I got to, man, I was praying about this and praying about it, and I said, Lord, you know, it can't get away from the testimony. And my question to you tonight, especially, you really only going to have that front page of your notes, the back pages for you to go home with. It's just basically what a testimony is. You know, when, before we read and look in the Scriptures tonight, just understanding and defining what testimony is. And in our normal or formal dictionary, it says this, that testimony is a formal written or spoken statement, especially given in a court of law. It's uh, basically, uh, if you look it up in the dictionary today, it's evidence, it's a sworn statement, it's an affidavit, it's a declaration, it's a uh, deposition. It's something that states uh, the truth, but yet it also has to be acted out in a certain way. But when you look at the Christian testimony, most of the time when we say, what is a testimony when you ask the church today? Well, that's what I did uh, last Sunday morning, Brother Steve. I stood up and gave a testimony to the whole church. And you're exactly right, but you also got to know that your testimony, it's not just words that you say that are here. Your testimony actually goes with you everywhere you go. There's one thing that I tried to tell the boys their whole life. You know, ever since they were little, I told you that I prayed for them since they were in a crib, that God would keep them from crazy, silly women, and uh, that they'd find godly women and do all these things. I prayed that God would use them greater than that he would ever use me and give them talent with music and all that stuff. And, man, I, we, we prayed for them constantly. But one of the things I've always told them, I said, since the day that they accepted Jesus as their Savior, I said, you only have that one testimony. You need to understand and you need to treat it just in the sense that we're adults out here, just in the sense of virginity and other things. You need to treat your testimony in that same kind of mind frame. You need to understand that it's holy, it's pure, it's wonderful, it has value to it, and that you shouldn't go out and try to live your life to please all of the world because each time you do that, you're actually cutting and marking and marring your testimony. And our testimony is everything. Church, we, we have a testimony that we are the children, the sons and the daughters of God, right? Everybody in here were saved, sons and daughters of God. When people see us, now listen, we all, we all mess up. We all have sins. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we can't just sit around in our homes anymore and in our churches anymore and just lean on that crutch all the time whenever we want to do wrong. We can't just sit back and go, well, nobody's perfect. We understand that. We, you, know, you know, No one's ever perfect and the kids are never perfect until they do something great and then they got that from your side of the family, right? Um, you know, they, that's, that came all through your genes and stuff. But we know that, but we can't sit around and go, well, Brother Steve, well, nobody's going to be perfect, and thank God for grace. Yes, thank God for grace. But Paul also says this, should we sin the more that grace would abound? He said, God forbid. He said, we shouldn't live a life in our testimony that we are professing Jesus Christ as our Savior. We shouldn't live in such a way to where the world can't recognize it. We, we shouldn't blend in so much that the world doesn't see us as different. Now, when I say different, I don't mean above other people. I mean sticking out, okay, that we're, we're sticking out, that we don't really connect and don't fit in. Vance Havner, an old preacher that's gone home to be with the Lord now, he didn't have a whole lot in life, and he had a little old rickety uh, 
shack up in North Carolina, uh, close to the Biltmore. You go by the Biltmore, and you got rooms after rooms in his house. Grass growed up all over it and everything. But, you know, he talked about that he understood the closer that he becomes to God, the less he is close to this world. In other words, like the more we grow in God, the more departed from the world and acting like the world and living like the world that we should become. Uh, if you've ever sat around in a church service, and I know that not a lot of our churches nowadays have the testimony services and have time for them, and, and I try sometimes to plan testimony services for that specific reason because I want you to understand that it's not just the pastor, it's the people of God that make a difference. It's not just one, you know, whatever you want to call a, a senior pastor, a children's pastor, a youth pastor, or a super pastor, whatever you want to call. Um, it's not about that. It's about the whole body of Christ, and everybody has a story. Your story is not my story, and my story is not yours. And as a matter of fact, if you ever sit down and talk with me about my story, you would rather keep your story than to have my story because my story was a huge flop. My story as a young teenager was very sin-filled, uh, riddled with things that are wrong. And I don't want to get emotional tonight, but things that ashamed of, ungodly things, things that I said, things that I did. And my wife, when she got saved at 18 years old, she was a goody, good, goody gumdrop, whatever you call it, goody two-shoes her whole life. Never had done anything wrong, ran a stop sign probably, but never did anything wrong, went to church her whole life, sang in church her whole life, did all those things, was an FCA president, first priority president, did all of this stuff, but at 18 years old, she realized she needed Jesus truly in her life, that he had to be her Savior and Lord and not just something that she grew up with, you know, and that had to be, I got a call on him. But she always, she'll tell you, she always struggled with her testimony because here she married this guy that was like, you know, living in sin and doing all these ungodly things and and partying and drinking and fighting and doing all that. And then she hears my testimony of how God totally 180 degree changed me. And she used to tell me things like this. I wish I had your testimony. And I was like, what? You're crazy. I wish I had your testimony. You know, that I never touched that stuff, never did those things. You know? she, but she would say, I struggle with doubt all the time because there was not this huge 180 degree turn. Her statement is this. She said, I was going to church before I got saved, got saved and still going to church. Same thing. Nothing ever really moved or changed or anything at all. And I was like, I never really thought about people that were good that went through that, that they struggle even with doubt and all that too, because here I am going, God, I, I hope you can forgive me of everything that I ever did. And Lord, that stuff, the, the devil is like a scuba diver. He goes underneath and tries to bring it up on me all the time. And I'm thinking, oh man, I, if I was saved, that, that stuff wouldn't even be in my mind. I got to get it out of my mind, you know, and I didn't understand, we didn't understand scriptures. We were young. And, uh, but I did understand this is that your testimony is precious. You know, your testimony is very impactful to people. And when you say to someone that you're a Christian, not just if you're a pastor or if you're a deacon or if you're a leader, but when you tell someone you're a Christian, you don't realize the weight that that carries. You don't realize the, uh, uh, and understand that it's just like that sworn testimony, that affidavit, that declaration that you made, that it's a verbal or action uh, uh, produced in, in the physical works that we do, it, it's a testimony in front of everyone. And, you know, sometimes we look at our testimonies and we go, well, Brother Steve, I, I, just, I just can't do this or I can't do that. And, and you don't take your testimony and put it way up here. It's down here somewhere or it's over here in the pocket. And you go, well, that's not really an important thing. But when people are watching you, it is. 
And it doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. You may be 40 years old, okay? And there's kids that are watching you, and you're a teacher every day. You're teaching them something, good or bad. But there's also people that are older than you that are watching you. They're looking at you. There's some of you that are in here that are older. And you begin to think, well, no one ever cares about me or no one is ever thinking about me. And there are folks watching you. They're watching your marriage. They're watching the way that you walk in church, the way that you live your life. They're listening to your words. Listen, they're listening to your prayers as you pray for them. And your testimony should be everything to us. It should be valuable to us. And I'm trying to state that over and over because God wants to use that. God wants to use your testimony to share his glory and his story of his son Jesus Christ with someone else. We don't get to choose our stories, though, a lot of times. Sometimes sin carves our story. And because God is gracious and wonderful and long-suffering and has an arm that is not short and an ear that's not deaf, you know what happens? He takes our sins and he forgives us. And listen, we begin to move into this position where we now have a testimony that we are saved, a testimony of great forgiveness. But then we also have these moments, and I'm just going to use this because I'm always just regular with y'all. I try not to be fake or anything but, and try not to be too dignified because y'all know better than that. But um, one of the things this past week, I was looking at the Men's Gridiron Conference is coming up, and it's going to be here in June or something like that. And I was looking at the lineup. Patty told me about it. I'm looking at the lineup, and the lineup is David Jeremiah. I love David Jeremiah, okay? Love David Jeremiah. Man, not only a great pastor, but went through cancer told a lot of things that he wasn't going to be able to make it. God healed him. God touched him. And I love to hear him. Phil Waldrop, he's the guy that actually puts it on. Love him. If any of you guys have ever gone to Shaco Springs Men's Mountaintop Retreat, it was Phil Waldrop that did all those things. Man, love all that. And then all of a sudden, I looked at it, and the headliner, Patty said, you'll never guess who the headliner is. And I was like, who? Larry the Cable Guy. And I was going, <laughs> I was going, Larry the Cable Guy? At a Christian conference, have they not heard him? You know, but it actually said in there that I knew he was a son of a pastor, but Dan Whitney is his name, and that three years ago he rededicated his life to Jesus Christ and that he's going to share about um, the darkness that he went through when he went into the entertainment business stuff. But I'm going to tell you what hit me first. What hit me right square between the eyes and in my heart was simply this. I wonder how many people... When they walked in in 1995 at Mormon Jordan High School and saw those posters on the wall that said Steve Taco Abney is going to be speaking at first priority, went, do they not know him? Do they not know what he's been doing? You know, it's one of those things where now there's going to be hopefully a testimony of God's great forgiveness. Amen. And so it's one of those things that you get that testimony. But then also on the flip side of that is that when you don't hold it high and hold it precious, you know what happened? You hold it real loosely in your hands. It gets marred, gets muddied, gets messed up. And people will eventually come to this place. He said he was a Christian. She said she was a Christian. That's the worst thing that could be said about you. The worst thing that could be said is, is that they said they were a Christian. And what that means is, is in their picture, in their mindset, what they've seen from you is that they've seen you profess to be saved. And then you'd go out and you're doing sinful things and you're doing things that are contrary to God's word and doing all that. And now all of a sudden what they said and they saw that you professed, that actually your testimony is a false testimony. 
Because then they go, well, he said he... And they, listen to me, it doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter. Me and you can get along great, and me and you can go, hey, thank you for the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins. But a lost person does not understand the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins. All they understand is, is they said they were a Christian. They're no different than me, and so I don't need their God. So that's why we've got to try, as the old songs say and as the Scripture says in the Old Testament, to hold the banner of the Lord high. Our testimony is evidence. It's a sworn statement that we've given out verbally just as Tammy was baptized this past Sunday night. It's a testimony of what God has done. It's an outward expression of an inward possession that we have. And let me tell you something. When it is in you, it is going to be expressed outwardly. It's going gonna, it's gonna to eventually come out. It may come out in tears and it may come out with lifting your hands and it may come out with an amen and those of you that don't amen you'll grunt yourselves to death and just go mm, all the time but it's going to come out so here's this what is a christian testimony and under that i want to give you three things real quick a christian testimony number one is a covenant it's a covenant and a covenant is a promise and when we look at the word covenant in the bible especially in the old testament with god and all the covenants that he had and then moving to jesus in the new testament telling us that he's giving us a new covenant a covenant is just simply this right here. It's an agreement between God and all humanity as well as what? Humanity with God. It's not just God making a covenant with us that he would send his son, Brother Mitch, and that he would die for your sins, and he promises you what? Eternal life for all who believe on him. John 3.16, John 3.17, right? All of that. But it's also, in turn, a covenant is our covenant with God is that we lay our lives down and surrender them to you, not to pick them back up, not to come back in control of them again, but Lord, you are the God of our lives. You are the God of our lives. And God, when we talk about you leading us and your guidance with us, God, it is you and I that dance together and you're in the lead. And when you make that covenant, it is a verbal thing. The Bible talks about Romans chapter 10 and 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart, confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus. Why in the book of Romans did it say that? Brother Steve, does that mean that when I get saved or when I got saved that I had to stand up and tell everybody that I got saved? It is a confession that Jesus Christ is your Lord. When the pastor looked at you and said, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? You answer with yes or you answer with no. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Yes. Is Jesus Christ the one who died for your sins? Yes, I believe he died for my sins. That is a confession and that is a covenant with God. Amen? It, it's a promise that you made with God. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, it's better for you not to even vow a vow or make a covenant than to make one and not keep it. It's best, listen, he tells us that a covenant is an agreement with God and humanity as well as with humanity to God. And listen, it's a vow of testament, a declaration that God sent his son to redeem our lives and that we have totally surrendered to him and committed unto him as Lord. You know what the Bible said? You remember Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. It says, after these things, I... That's wrong. I put the wrong one in there, so we're not going to worry about it. I want to read it to you, 11 and 7. It says, and when they had finished their testimony, it says, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. The Bible says when they finished their testimony, these two witnesses came for three and a half years to give a testimony unto the Lord. God had them, what, reserved for his use. We talked about it Sunday. But they also, in turn, church, they didn't come here speaking things about themselves. They made a covenant with God that they would speak the things of God. You know what the Holy Spirit does? You know what Jesus Christ does? Jesus told the disciples, he says, 
How do you say you know the Father and you don't know me? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, because I'm sent to testify of him that sent me. I'm sent to give glory unto the Father. And the Bible even says that Jesus told him in John 14 and in 17 that he was going to send a comforter called the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that when he sent the comforter, he would teach you all things concerning himself and talking about Jesus. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God points to Jesus. Jesus points to the Father. It's a beautiful trinity. And the Holy Spirit of God now lives inside of you and walks alongside of the spirit and man and spirit and woman and does what? Communion and fellowship. And when God speaks to us, it's not in the clouds of audible voices and all these things. No, he speaks to our spirit through the Holy Spirit of God. And he speaks to us through the spirit doing what? Spiritually discerning this book that we have. And so here we are now. We've made this covenant with God. I don't know when you made your covenant. I don't know when you were saved. I don't know how you said it to the Lord. I don't know what the pastor said to you. I don't understand all those things that they may have told you or anything like that. But when you got saved, if you didn't get saved in this way, let me tell you something. The scripture is very clear in Romans that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Okay? It's that simple. And you say, why did they put that in the book of Romans in that, in that kind of manner? Because when the Christians were uh, entering into the Colosseum, as Nero would have them tied together with the women and the children and the men would be ripped apart by animals and the, the women would be sown and, and babies would be sown in the carcasses of animals and uh, dead animals. And then the other animals would come out and tear them apart and eat them or they would release the lions on them during that time. What they would do is they would hold a sword to them or they would hold up and they would ask that, that, that one that actually was speaking and he had the great orator voice, he would actually fill up the Colosseum and try to get all of those Christians that were brought in there to declare that Caesar is Lord. Curios is Lord, that Caesar is Lord, you know, that they would try to say that he is God. And they would say, no, Jesus, Jesus is. Jesus is the only God. And they would unleash them all. You know what is sad right now is that, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Old Testament, the Valley of Moloch. Uh, it's called the Hinnon Valley in the New Testament. Uh, the Valley of Moloch, the God of Moloch, was what it was. It was a false god, and it was made out of brass, and it actually had a furnace inside of its belly. And inside that belly, they would heat up this fire, and people would go as they worshipped Baal, Baal, uh, false prophets, and the worship of Baal. Jezebel was one of those. She was a, a priestess uh, uh, daughter that actually tried to get the Israelites to worship Moloch and all of this. And, and the children of Israel actually did. They sinned. But when they would go into that valley... They would take their children and offer it to the, to the God of Moloch. As they would heat up that belly, that furnace inside that, and those brass arms would set out. They would lay their children, their babies, inside those brass arms, and they would burn. They would throw them inside of that belly. And you say, man, that is so, so ungodly. Did you know that now until March of this year of 2020, that as you go into the Roman Colosseum, if you go over to Rome and you're going to visit the Colosseum, that right now at the main entrance, that you go into the Colosseum, that they have a huge rendition of Moloch. He's there, and it tells the whole story of him, and everybody has to go past that in order to get to this Colosseum. And I think it's a real slap in the face of God because even in that Colosseum, all of those Christians that died under the hands of that crazy uh, uh, emperor named Nero and Domitian and all those others, and, and listen, now they've got this false god in their church. We've got a world that's just crazy. 
We've got a world that, and I don't mean it to be rude or anything, but sinfully crazy, that we've lost our thought process. And then there's Christians that are not living their testimony out, their covenant that they made with God, and they can't see Christ. See, they're not going to pick up a Bible. They're not going to go out there to the bookstore. And it's very rare that somebody goes, you know what, I'm going to go buy me a Bible today. It's rare that something like that happens. Even as many tracts as we have and we give them out, a lot of that stuff is also rare because there's not many Christians that are giving them out as much as we should. But one of the things that's the biggest problem of all is that they watch us. Your neighbors, they see you get up and get ready for Sunday morning and you drive out with all of your family and they know you're going to church. They know that that's the thing that you do. But whenever you come home on Sunday afternoon, and if you're running around in the backyard and chasing your kids with a two-by-four, and you're cussing them out, and you're doing all these other stuff, or the police bring you home because you're drunk and all this stuff, listen, they're watching that too. They're watching everything that we do. And I'm not trying to tell you that you're going to be this picture-perfect person. I know that we are in a sinful body, but the Bible says we're a new creation, a new creature in the Lord, and we should live that way. Here's the second thing under that because we've got a lot of other stuff to do. Is that it's not only a covenant, which is a holy, holy promise unto God, but it's that it's a witness. Witness. Our profession of faith in Jesus Christ and God's word is spoken and lived out in front of other people, not just believers. And that's kind of where we get hung up. We love to come to church. And when we come to church, we love to do what? We love to talk about God. When we come to church, man, you ask anybody that walks in the door when they come to church, ask them how they are. Everything's great. Everything's great. They have been sniffing daisies and walking in the tulips all day long when they come to church. You ask them outside of church, man, ain't nothing going right. You know, I'm just, you know, my dog has died, my, all this stuff, you know. It, like the country song the other day, I was listening to it going down the road, and it was said, uh, uh, run out of gas, that's my luck, four bald tires on my pickup truck, and I ain't got no more credit on my credit card. You know what I mean? And Dad and Craig's probably about to start singing that song. They know it's one of them Millsap songs. And I was sitting there going, and immediately I went, I'm turning that guy. Oh, he's depressing me. You know what I mean? He's fixing to start singing about his dog being dead. Listen, our witness, and I'm not trying to tell you to put on a fake smile or to put on a fake attitude. I'm trying to tell you that before you meet the day, ask God for the joy that he has. Ask God to fill you up. Ask God to let you know that everything you do in that day is a reflection of the testimony that goes to his name, amen? We carry his name. As much as a football player, a baseball player, basketball player carries the name of their school and a coach demands that they live up to the testimony of their school and to the spirit and to the right standing of their school, listen, we've got a greater name on us. It's the name of Jesus Christ, and we should present it, and we should be good and faithful witnesses for the Lord Jesus. The third thing is this. It's a covenant. It's a witness. But the third thing is this. It's evidence. People are looking for evidence in your life. They're looking for something real. They're not looking for someone that gets up and speaks with some kind of different voice, pronounces the word of God in a different way, enunciates, and, and, and when he says Jesus, he carries out the S for about two extra minutes at the end of it all. They're looking for somebody real. They're looking for a Christian that when they're broken, that that Christian will go over there and they'll put their arm around them and they'll pray with them because they know what being broken is. When they're joyful, they'll know and it'll be doubled. They're looking for evidence in a Christian's life. Listen, what's evidence? It's verbal or actions that prove or back up what we profess. 
It's something that backs everything up. If you ever want to study about this, I encourage you to go read the book of James. The book of James is full of this. James and Paul never argued about saved by grace and saved with faith. He's not, they're not arguing about those things. The Bible tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And, and James is talking about your works. You know, you show me your works and I'll show you my faith, right? And if you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. All these, what they're doing is, is James is saying, you must have evidence, you must have proof of the covenant and confession that you say you have. You can't just say, I'm a Christian and go out here and live like the devil. You can't say I'm saved and and I'm a born-again child of God and Jesus is my Lord and never live like Jesus is your Lord. You've got to have foolproof evidence. It's proof of the life that we live now is founded and built on the Word of God and lived as Jesus Christ lived himself. That's our goal. Our everyday goal is to be more and more and more like Jesus, right? Right? Just like Jesus. Every day. Listen, you, you, when, you, when you come on Wednesday, you really got to pay attention. You really got to dig in. You got to lean forward. You got to lean in. I know you're tired, and that's why you got to lean in. If you lean back, you're going to be out. You got to lean in. And what I'm trying to say is, is that people are watching you. Don't just think they're watching the people out here. They're watching the people in the sound booth. They're watching everybody. They're watching everything you do. Oh, you run sound over there? You call yourself a Christian? Oh, you teach Sunday school over there? You call yourself a Christian? And I saw you do this, 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 this. And they start naming stuff. And, you, you know, and then what do you do? You get mad about it. And then all of a sudden, you start throwing out Scripture to them. Judge not, lest you shall be judged. And you're twisting that Scripture, you know. And they hopefully will look back and say, twist not Scripture, lest it also, you also be twisted, right? You, you shouldn't twist that Scripture. They're judging you because why? They're looking at you. They're looking at you and going, I need to see Christ. I don't need to see someone that's not living that way. I want to talk to you about two people tonight that actually had a great testimony. These people are out of the Word of God. It's not going to be anybody that are in here, but it's going to be two people out of the Word of God. Number one is Paul was a man who finished his testimony. Paul was a man who lived his testimony. Look with me at Acts chapter number 20 right here in verse number 17 through 24. And from Malthus, he says, he sent unto Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He says, I was serving the Lord with all humility of mine, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. He said, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, He says, but I've showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to both the Jews and also to the Greeks or the Gentiles. He said, what was he testifying about? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions shall abide in me. Look at verse 24. But none of these things move me. Paul was saying, I know that the Jews are laying in wait to harm me or to even take my life. Paul, when he went into the synagogue, sometimes was let down, Brother Carl, in a basket out of a window because they were trying to kill him. Paul, listen, understood that. He said, but none of these things 
moved me. You know what moved Paul? One of the things that moved Paul before we get into this scripture was he said, I, I forget the things that are behind me and I press forward toward the things that are before me. I press toward the high mark of the high, or toward the mark for the high calling in Jesus Christ. The prize was what he was saying. I'm moving toward that. He's saying, I'm trying to forget all of those things that I did. And if there's anybody that ever had a testimony that they were ashamed of the things that they did in their past and that they realized that they were sinful, it'd be Paul. Paul persecuted the church. Paul held the coats as Stephen was stoned to death. Paul did things that were contrary to God, but Paul said these words. He said, I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. He said, I did not know any better. But Paul, before he got to that point, he even said one time, Brother Craig, he said, I have even surpassed all of my teachers, even Gamaliel, that was Paul's teacher of the Torah, the Word of God, and how he grew up. Paul said, I live to the strictest uh, sect of Pharisee. He said, to the strictest Portion of them all, I was a Pharisee. I did all of the things according that I thought was right. The word of God, he says, but on the road to Damascus, it says, a bright light appeared unto me, and he heard the voice of the Lord. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you doing these things? Why are you going contrary to me? Paul said, I try to forget those things. I believe Paul, much like myself, was one of those men that often thought about, God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for what you've done for me. Lord, thank you that I can forget the past and look forward. Because you know, just as well as I do, a runner that's always looking back will never, ever be able to push forward like they need to. A farmer that looks back on the tractor while he's plowing will never, ever cut a straight row at all. Believe me, I know. You won't be able to do those things. But Paul also said this. He says, none of these things move me. He says, but this is what moves me. He says, neither count I my life dear unto myself. And what he was saying was the same thing that Jim Elliott said this past Sunday. It's the same thing that Nate Saint said. It's the same thing that many pastors and missionaries throughout the years, Lottie Moon said, that they believed that their job was immortal until God was finished with them. That they didn't care that their life was only for God and that they wanted all this other stuff. They said, I would rather lose my life for the gospel's sake and for the name of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, I don't count my life dear unto myself. It wasn't Paul saying that I don't care about my life and I just want to be dead. He was saying, no, when compared to glory and when compared to eternal things, Paul said, all this other stuff, if the Jews beat me, if the Jews kill me, if the Jews do whatever, he said, I don't count myself or my life dear to myself. He said, why? So that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord. Jesus, he says, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He said, if I care about anything, he said, I just want to finish my course. You know what a testimony is? Is that it's not everything that you say in life. Because really and truly, we won't really see all of your testimony until the end. We won't see the full testimony until you're here or at the funeral chapel. You won't see the end of it. I have a very good friend of mine that I'll never forget when we were in high school. as was a young girl. Stayed home from sick from school. And, and uh, three men broke into the house. And uh, they were burglarizing the house. But they also raped this young girl at 15 years old. And I'll never forget her testimony telling me how she said, all I knew to do, she was just screaming and crying and saying, all I knew to do was just quote scripture and just to say scripture to them. She said, I remember that one of them said that we need to kill her because she's seen our faces. And she said, I just remember, I just shut everything out and just started praying. I was just asking God. And man, the family hurt. It was, it was difficult. Won't, won't immediate 
justice, you know. I mean, and we want action right then, all this stuff. And I'll never forget that young lady came to church here one time when she was married, first had her little, little boy, and she's married to one of my good friends I went and graduated high school from. And I'll never forget what she talked about at the women's conference. She said, everybody has a story. She said, I didn't get to choose mine. And all of us don't get to always choose our story, but everybody's got a story. She said, would I have written that down for myself? Never. But can God get glory out of all of our stories, even the mess that we go through? Absolutely. Why? Because we're here to finish our course. You know what? You fall down. You get up. You fall down. You get up. And hopefully, occasionally, there will be a brother and sister right beside you that will do what? That will go, hey, I will help you. Let me help you up. I want you to look at what Paul said in another scripture. It's in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse number 6 and 7. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Paul is encouraging a young Timothy by telling him, You know what Paul's fixing to go through? At the hands of the emperor of Rome, he's fixing to lay his head down on a chopping block, and he is fixing to be decapitated. And Paul, when he was in prison, you know what he asked for? Uh, Epaphroditus, uh, Onesiphorus was a guy that came and visited Paul in prison. Uh, Epaphroditus was another one of Paul's great uh, friends. Uh, uh, Philemon was another one of great Paul's friends. Wrote a great story about Philemon. Just loved the brother. But he talked about Onesiphorus. You know what he said? He said, he had often refreshed me. You know what Paul was saying about Onesiphorus? He said, man, you were like a cup of cold water to me. And when Onesiphorus came and visited Paul, and he brought bread and other things from the church members, Paul asked a request. You know what it was? He said, bring me the parchments. You know what he was saying? He said, bring me the word of God. He said, bring me the words of God that I've written. Bring them to me. And Paul, before his decapitation, looking over the scriptures and studying and going back and reading what God had done, as though he's going back in a diary and spending that moment with God, knowing God's faithful and that this was my course and that my course took me here to Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira. My course took me here to Ephesus. My course took me here, and I was beaten with rods. My course took me here, and I was thrown in prison. The co- my, my course took me here, and I was beat with rods or, or beaten with stripes upon my back. And, and me and Silas spent a night in the prison over there. And, uh, I, I, you know, you can hear him probably as he's reading through all of those parchments and he's understanding, Brother Mitch, and he's going, my course is not what I chose but that night we sang praises to God and we prayed to God and, and, and the whole prison began to shake and the fetters fell off, the chains fell off the prisoners and it was unreal and like going back through and I can just see Paul as he's reading the parchments that Onesiphorus refreshed him with and Epaphroditus and all these other brothers that helped him out and he's reading them and he's just refreshed in his heart knowing that I finished the course. Remembering, just like a football player, remembering those two-a-day practices remembering every devil run remembering every sprint remembering all that but when they're hoisting up what a big old huge crown or 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 runner up in the state they're all excited and they're like man this was the greatest thing ever and they can go back and remember the course right listen we don't get to do that right now but some of us in this church we are at that place where you're looking back over your course and you're looking and you're saying Did I make a difference? Let me encourage you tonight by just saying this. Don't look back. Finish strong. Finish strong. Paul said, 
I finished my course. I kept the faith. Here's the other person I want to tell you about. Probably the greatest one in the whole Bible. Jesus finished his testimony. He finished the work that he came to do. Look at with me at John chapter 17. The Bible says in verse 1, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. Oh, man, Sister Darla, I can see him doing it. It says, And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Never, ever in this whole Bible that we have do we read about a selfless, loving person other than Jesus. In John 17, going into the Garden of Gethsemane, Brother Mitch, he is praying for the disciples. Then he prays for you and for me. He says, I pray not only for these that believe, but for all those that will believe on my name. And he prays for us. Listen, if any time, Brother Bill, that Jesus could have ever took a time out and prayed for his own self, and just being a little bit on that side of, you know what, I'm going up against the wall, I'm going to Calvary, and I'm going to pray only for this. We find him praying for us and for the disciples. But look at what he says right here. He says, Father, glorify thy name. He said, the hour has come. Jesus, through his whole ministry for three and a half years, always said what? He always said what, Brother Heath? He says, woman, what is that to me? My hour's not yet come. You remember his mama told him they run out of wine, and he said, woman, <laughs> To his mama, what is that to me? Mine hour's not yet come. The disciples told him to go into Drew. Mine hour's not yet come. He told it over and over. But in this one, he says, Father, my hour, the hour has come to do what? Glorify thy son. So that thy son, I'm telling you, if you want a son, you want a son like this. He said, so that the son may glorify thee. Look what he says in verse number two. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life, to as, many of them, uh, uh, to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And look, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He says in that scripture, church, he says, The time is now come. But look at what he said in verse 4. He says, I finished the work. What does that mean? Brother Craig, we don't, we don't get to the cross in John 17. We don't get to the cross until John 19. He's not actually finished at all. But you know what he's doing? Brother Danny, he's already saying and declaring that the time is, is up. And I have finished the course. I have finished the work that you've called me to do. Knowing that Calvary is the next thing, knowing that death is the next thing, he's already determined that I finished it. Same as Paul. Paul declared, Brother Carl, that he had finished the course before he was decapitated. See, you have to do it that way. You can't, y'all understand what I'm saying? You can't do it after. You don't get to declare anything after your head is off. You do it now before it's off. Jesus declared it. That's what we do. You declare to all people, I'm a child of God, and I'm going to heaven someday, and I'm a saint of God. I live for God and my testimony. You're declaring already what God has done for you and what God has waiting for you. And you need to remember when you say that with your words, it also needs to be presented in your evidence. 
It needs to be presented in the witness that you give to everybody. Jesus finished his testimony. Look at what he says in John chapter number 19. It says, And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it with a sponge with vinegar and put it on a hyssop. It says, And he put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, look at these words. He said, It is finished. Tetelestai. He said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Tetelestai. When he says here in this original language in the word tetelestai, it means it is finished. It's one word. And it is actually an accounting term that they would uh, write or stamp or seal on a bill that had been paid in full. Tetelestai. It was paid in full. It is finished. Church, Jesus finished his testimony. Which brings us to the last part of tonight is that I want to ask you this question. What will be your finished testimony? And I want you to think about it, and I want you to look uh, on that paper on the back. There's a lot of blanks. And um, I just want you to know that your testimony could be from now until he calls you home. It can be what it is. You know, I know that you may have things that are in the background that are scarred up from the background and from days in the past. I know that you may have things that Satan wants to bring up and kind of throw up on you all the time. But I want you to understand that you have a testimony and that now you need to write that story out. Everybody has a story. And I want to encourage you to take it and ask yourself these questions. Number one is this. What would they say about your commitment to Jesus? If people were sitting around and you were not present, what would people say about your commitment to Jesus Christ? I knew it would get silent. I knew it would be the, you know, the crickets. Because we look at it and go, hmm, what will they say? The second thing is this. What would they say about your commitment to God's word? See, a lot of people might say something about your commitment to Jesus because you go around and you talk about Jesus and you say something and stuff like that, but they never hear the word of God come out of you. How sad it would be that we're great friends with people, but yet we never give them the healing. We never give them the balm. We never give them the cure. We always talk about what we've got, but yet we never share God's word with them. And tell them what scripture says for them so that they could have what we have. It would be a horrible thing to have a friend like that not tell you about Jesus. The third thing is this. How will they describe the way that you live? The words that you spoke and the choices that you made whenever you're gone. <clears throat> you know, I know that some of you are thinking, bro, see if I didn't come tonight on a Wednesday night to hear this. It's very somber. I didn't really want to come and get beat in the heart like that. Well, it's just a complimentary EKG, spiritual EKG. It's just to really get us back to go, you know what? We need to live our lives in this way. You know what? How will they describe the way you live? Hopefully they'll say he lived or she lived after Jesus. The words that you spoke, that when he or she spoke, that they spoke wonderful words of love like Jesus did. The choices that you made, that they made great choices that affected the kingdom of God and the gospel of his son Jesus. The fourth one is this. It's probably the biggest one to me. What will they say, or excuse me, will they say that you finished well or that you even finished at all? Will they say that you finished well or even if you finished at all? You know, that, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at through the whole sermon tonight is that if people have already given up on the fact that you say you're a Christian, you need to make those steps backwards and go, hey, I need to mend some bridges and do that. One of the hardest things that I ever did in my entire life was when I got saved, I went back and I had a whole lot of talks with friends. 
I had a whole lot of talks with uh, girlfriends. I had a whole lot of talks with principals. I had a whole lot of talks in front of the whole school. Everything. Why? Because I had a whole lot of bridges to mend. Some people say, well, you didn't have to do that. You're exactly right. But it wasn't for you, and God didn't tell you to do that. He told me to do that. And when God told me to do that, I needed to, I needed to find freedom. And the only freedom that I could get was when I'd pull up at Piggly Wiggly and there was a person that I had dated and I'd open the car door and I'd look at them even after me and my wife are married and God laid on my heart and I'd go over there and say, I just want you to know and I hope that you do know that I'm a totally different person and I'm so sorry for the sins that I ever committed. I want you to know that God has changed me and God's doing a good thing in my life. And they just look at you like, okay. (laughs) All right. And they get in their car and they leave. It doesn't matter what they think. I'm not giving them freedom. I'm searching for my own freedom. That's why. Why? Because my testimony is everything to me. Testimony is everything to me. Listen, take the time to think back, and I wrote it down so that it would be right. Take the time to think back over what you've professed. See if your life is an example and a testimony of what you've professed. Because a Christian testimony is not one that's just heard. It's got to be seen also. It's got to have a covenant, which is a commitment. It's got to have witness, which is your words that you speak, but it's got to have evidence. So what I want you to do is just kind of this week, just take that piece of paper and on the back and just search your heart and search your life and say, write down the evidence of your life in Christ. Write down the evidence of it all. And I'll put it as I close, I'll say this. I used to go to the barber shop. You laugh all you want, it's fine. But I used to go to the barber shop and... Uh, Old man, Mr. Gene in Mount Olive had a thing on his wall, if y'all have ever got a haircut over there. And I looked up there one day as I was getting the twigs cut off of mine. And it says, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? And I was like, ooh, that's deep, right? It's the same thing with you. If you said you're a Christian, do people have enough evidence to actually see that you're a Christian, right? Or do you have to wear it on a T-shirt? Because we don't always have to wear it on a t-shirt in order for us to be Christians. I mean, even look at me tonight. I started to get up here and to sing, we're looking for blues clues. We are looking for blues clues. You know, it's just the thing. We have to give our testimony. If you ruin your testimony, let me share something with you. It's, It's very difficult to get it back. 